Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. And welcome to the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and we have a great show planned for you this week. It's finals weekend for Roland Garros 2020. In just a matter of hours, we will crown the French Open champions. And I've got an expert with me to break down all the drama and all the action and preview both finals. It's tennis commentator from Australia, Louise Plumbing, also a former player on tour in her own right. She talks about calling matches during the pandemic. We look at the women's final with teenager Iga Swiatek taking on Sophia Kennan, the American reigning Australian Open champion in an unexpected final, to say the least. And on the men's side, it's the 56th meeting between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Rafa going for major 20, which would tie him with Roger Federer for the most all-time. Djokovic looking for 18. He's got one loss on the year, and it was that default he is playing in rare form. We break down all the action with Luis Plumbing on the TC Live podcast, starting right now. As we're about ready to start the weekend, the finals of Roland Garros 2020, finals in October. Joined this week, our guest on the TC Live podcast, a veteran in the tennis game. She's played professionally. She's worked as a commentator, a junior Fed Cup coach in Australia, the touring national tennis Australia coach, and a commentator for networks such as BBC, Channel 7 in Australia, and of course, our very own tennis channel. Please welcome to the show, Louise Fleming. Louise, thanks for joining. No, it's great. I'm so glad to be here, Mitchell. We're really excited to have you. It's a great time of year, a unique time of year, one that you know we've never seen before, and we're kind of hopeful it doesn't get the calendar like this ever again. But you know, I'll start with this: you have a, you have a, a plethora of experience, Luis, in calling matches and covering tennis. This has been an interesting one. I mean, we've talked about it time and time again, but going Grand Slam to Grand Slam with basically a couple weeks to spare and switching surfaces. What's your thoughts been like for this French Open and, and, and the experience you've had calling these matches, you know, dealing with uh, October clay court tennis and the players having to adjust on the fly so quickly? Yeah, it's been, it's been incredible, hasn't it? And, and hopefully uh, we don't have to submit the players and, and uh, the tournament officials and everyone to this and, and the heavy protocol that is, you know, that everyone has to follow and, yeah, I think it's it's been a very interesting year, and and for me, before the U.S. Open, before Roland Garros, I just really felt this year was going to be an absolute, just an equaliser for all players. It doesn't matter if you came in as a Grand Slam champion, whether you were number one in the world, or, or lucky enough to get into a Grand Slam at say ranked 150 because the cutoff dropped. It absolutely made everything start kind of equal again. And, and we've seen that throughout the tournament. Players getting through, that have been getting opportunities. Um, you know, Jen Brady at the at the US Open uh, winning Lexington and, and doing so well there. We've seen players obviously here at uh, Roland Garros as well. Podorosta, uh, Trevisan, and of course Sviatek just, just getting through to the final. It's just an incredible story. So... 
you know, I, I think it'll be interesting in a year's time to look back at, at this passage of uh, 12 months, just how it affected the tour. Um, it could be quite an interesting study. Especially having to deal with, you know, everything you just said, but the players having to go into a bubble, you know, the French Open one being, it sounds like a little bit more constrictive in ways, but the way it had to be to make these tournaments uh, a thing, Luis, they, the players had to buy in. They had to buy in if they were going to sign up for it all the way at the top. Djokovic, Nadal, and another French Open final. But you mentioned qualifiers that made runs all the way through and, and had to, you know, play themselves for a lot of players, play themselves into shape based on how their home countries are. Uh, I've been very impressed with the level of play, and specifically in this French Open, where they're not just playing tennis in the current environment, they're also having to you know brave the elements. It's, it's interesting for me, as I'm sure it is you, to see clay court tennis in Paris, now night tennis with, under, with a roof at Chatrier under the lights on some of the outer courts, and also how cold it's been. We're seeing players wearing coats and zip-up jackets and leggings. This is another added level, another added difficulty for winning uh, the tournament. Yeah, I think any player that has been able to have that flexible thinking, and, and tennis players in general are quite rigid with their thinking. They're very disciplined. You know, they, they have a lot of set things that they have to follow um, on the edge of being a little OCD. So... You know, it, it has been a, a, an interesting and a difficult time for a lot of players. But I, I think the deeper sense of the feeling of the players is the fact that they're just absolutely grateful to be given this opportunity. You know, we look around the world and people are losing jobs and people are not able to go to work. So the extent at which tournament uh, organisers have gone, it's been over and beyond. It's been amazing. And I think um, we've seen players kind of, on court, just just play some some incredibly um, spiritual kind of really invested matches because I think of the appreciation of just being back on court. And one, uh, you know, as a ranker, I think just comes to my mind at the U.S. Open that that uh, appreciation and and the fact that she was back on court was just oozing out of every pore from her. Yeah, it just seemed very peaceful, you know, the way she just kind of had her mentality yeah. right and, and the results were there. Before we get to the French Open, I do want to ask you about the U.S. Open as you, as you brought it up. What was the experience like for you calling matches uh, for that tournament, not necessarily, you know, being being on the grounds on site, calling matches? I know the players, we talk about having to adjust to the current climate of the pandemic, but the broadcasters do too. What was that like for you calling matches there? Well, it was interesting. Um, you know, I arrived from Australia and uh, obviously we had to all go into isolation. Everybody was in a, you know, a hotel where we were really, you know, it was a bubble, uh, sense. And, um, we had to have a COVID test every three to four days. And we all wore masks inside of, you know, the studios when we were commentating. And yeah, it, it was incredible. If you had two people in a booth, then you were put, um, at the opposite end of the booth, and you had to, the mask on. If you were sharing a, a match, then we were in separate booths, and you could see just on a um, on a television screen your co-commentator. So you know it had its challenges, but obviously everyone was you know very happy to be again just working, seeing live tennis. It was really exciting. What, what was amazing was just being able to walk out onto Upgrade Stadium and taking whatever seat you want. You could go and sit yeah. down right by the court. And in fact, I was, I was watching the match with Novak where, um, 
you know, he unfortunately hit the, the umpire of uh, the lines person. So that was quite surreal, uh, to be there and, and to walk outside to go and watch any practice match. You could just be up close and personal with any player. Um, but again, just talking to everyone, just that, that sense of disappreciation, um, to be there. Yeah, that, that part is, is so fascinating to me because I noticed it too, not just when the, the heavy hitters are playing and you feel like you have this match to yourself, but the outer courts. I mean, there's some fans at the French Open, but, you know, it's still not the same as uh, uh, think of an insane, an insane best of five fifth set men's match or a drama in the ladies in the last set. And it's almost like there's, it's almost like it's just your own personal match. It's, it's crazy. It's what, you, what's what I miss the most about being a fan of, you know, the atmosphere and the fans that would really enjoy and appreciate some high quality tennis. I'm sure that part is strange. It's good to be there in the per, in the flesh there for yourself, but you know, that's what we miss. That's what we miss the fans for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think, um, you know, it's disappointing to think that every day 30,000 people are going to miss out on, on watching great play at tennis at Roland Garros, more at the U.S. Open. Of course, the U.S. Open is a much bigger arena as well. So walking around there, it was just uh, like an empty city. But, yeah, I mean, again, it, just the fact that somehow we were able to pull Grand Slams together this year, I, I just think it was it was amazing. But you're right. I think um, we'll see what happens with the Australian Open. I know Craig Tiley is, is hoping to have 50% uh, you know, crowd. Whether that happens, we just don't know how COVID is, is really evolving. But again, if we can get players down to Australia, I know, uh, you know we have different rules down there. Isolation rules and the quarantine rules, that's something they're going to have to get around um, because just the, the strict government uh, situation we have going to be a tough one. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Louise Fleming here on the TC Live podcast. I want to get to the French Open and where we're looking at with the singles finals coming up. But first, uh, I don't want to, you know, go by the wayside some of the improbable stories and the players that, that did so much and, and accomplished so much that they might not win it, but this is just unreal performances. You mentioned Potter, Potteroska as well as Trevison, the two qualifiers on the uh, women's side that both played each other in the quarterfinals with Potteroska getting to a semifinal. And also on the men's side, it was Hugo Gaston, the 20-year-old French player that hadn't even won a tour match and ends up getting to the round of 16 and pushing team to five sets. These were the players I wanted to bring up first with you, Luis, because I know you appreciate uh, a good story in tennis and the journey that you know, not just the top players have their moments, and we appreciate the greatness that they have, but this is the part of tennis that, that I love as much as any, is these players that come from nowhere that have the runs of their lives on the biggest stage. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think this goes back to my thoughts before, uh, you know, play started. Uh, I was working with some Australians back in March and, and April when, you know, all of the, the tournaments were just basically cancelled. And, and I said to all these players, I said, this is an opportunity for you to, to work as hard as possible because when you come back on the tour, it doesn't matter who's on the other side. They're not going to be as confident as they were when they were having a run of matches, particularly the top players. They're, 
they're so used to winning day in, day out. So for me, it was a massive equaliser, and I think that's what some of these guys have done. They've come out here, taken this opportunity, and some of the top players have obviously, you know, depending how they've trained, it's very, very hard in a situation like this how to do your periodization, when to come back, when to start working harder, when, you know, are you working mostly on fitness, which a lot of players did. They only really started uh, getting back on court perhaps the last month. So it just, it really has created some, some great opportunities. And I think we've seen, you know, some of these guys that have never won matches at Grand Slam levels coming through. It's been really exciting. It sounds like it starts with the fitness level, um, especially the female qualifiers I mentioned. They beat some top players in, in Svitolina for Paderowska, and uh, Coco Golf was the one Trevisan beat on the way there. If you come into this tournament in shape, and, and that's a great point by you also, that the player on the other side of the net isn't going to be as confident. I think what we started to see were players that just went on runs basically out of nowhere. It started with that first match, and we can go all the way up to even the top players and Sitsipas, who almost makes the final which we'll get to in a second, but him and Rublev both come from Hamburg, lose their first two sets of the tournament, turn it around, and then they don't look back until they face each other. So I think tennis is always, you know, it is about momentum and harnessing good energy like Azarenka did in her U.S. Open run. We started to see that in some unlikely places at Roland Garros. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think the women's side has been really exciting. I mean, to see Swiatek, from just, you know, a year ago, obviously changing the way she's approached tennis and the psychological part of that has really helped her because, you know, with the isolation, the biggest part of tennis that you needed to take care of, which is the mental health uh, part mm-hmm. of the game because, you know, it's tough. A lot of uh, a lot of players felt that anxiety and um, a little bit of, you know, that the difficult part of, of just being a human when you get, what you normally do taken away from you, you start to really question a lot of other things in your life. And I, you know, one of the things that I just loved was um, Martina Trevisan. I mean, she took five years off the tennis tour, came back. I spoke to her physical trainer the other day, and just to see this young woman um, totally put together just uh, some fantastic mm-hmm. tennis, the way she played. And also, you look at Podoroska, the way she played, and, and me that illustrated a little bit of what was going on with the court surface uh the courts were playing pretty slow in paris because of you know playing in autumn not in when you know the sun's out in full bloom and i think the players that had not such big serves were kind of it was a little bit of an advantage this year seeing those kind of players come through and do really well so you know it was just a real turnaround and, and such an advantage for some players. But uh, they, those two players, Trevor Stone and Podoroska, they were the two most outstanding stories for me on the women's side, without any doubt. Amazing. And obviously, Swiatek, well, mm-hmm. her story hasn't finished yet. Right. Trevor Stone, you know, took the years off, battled anorexia, got her life right, got herself to a great yep. place, qualified, and then went on this run to the quarterfinals. A remarkable tournament for her. Uh, let's get to it with the final. You mentioned Swiatek, the 19-year-old, who last year, it, we're going to go back to that round of 16 because it's such symmetry that she plays Simona Halep. She wins one total game in that match. This year she plays Halep, same exact round. Halep wins three games. She hasn't dropped a set, Swiatek. She's gone basically rough shot through the entire draw. She's the favorite actually going into this match against Kennan, but 
She has been a prodigy in tennis for quite some time. Luis, I expected good things from her. I definitely will be the first to say I didn't expect it to all come together this fast, this soon. But she has played lights out tennis, and it's just been a joy to watch. Oh, it's an incredible story, isn't it? I like the fact that it, as she really documented that she worked on the mental side of the game. And again, that just happened to work in really well with the fact that, you know, we've just had one of the, the toughest moments in, in tennis history where, you know, we've been, you know, all the, the tournaments have been held off. But yeah, it, it, she goes into this match really, like you said, as the favourite, uh, which is incredible for her, the... Um, unseated to, yeah. to come in here and just do so well. I mean, that match, that turnaround against Simona Halep, she just blew Simona off the court. You know, she served really well. She was more aggressive with the forehand. She moved extremely well. She's got a game that, that suits all surfaces, I think, also. So she's going to go deep into a lot of grand slams, obviously doing well on the hard court at the Australian Open and getting to the fourth round. I think in the back of her mind as well, as a 15-year-old, uh, and this is the only time that this pair, uh, Sonia Cannon and Eager, uh, have played was That's at right. uh, Roland Garros in the four years ago, 2016, as a 15-year-old um, beat a player that was two years older than her. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder if there's a little debris in the back of the mind of Sonia Cannon. Um, obviously, she is a, a much improved uh, uh, player and obviously... Um, you know, at the end of this year, she's going to be looked at as probably the most standout player of the year, Sonia Cannon. That's right. You know, you're taking all my good stats here. I was, <laughs> I was saving that one, but no, that's a, that's a good find for sure. The 2016 Roland Garros third round. That was Swiatek winning over a player a couple years older than her. Luis, I, I've admired her game this tournament. I, I knew she had a good serve and power, but you hit on it. The movement and the ability to adapt and play that all-surface style game stood out to me, and I didn't know oh, if she was I, capable of it until this tournament. Oh, she's been so impressive. I mean, for me to to see how she's gone about her business, I mean, just a couple of little moments where she looked, uh, you know, just a, a little nervous at the beginning of that match with Podoroska, but um, showed no, serve, no signs of, of any kind of um, anxiety or just nerves or anything against Simona Halep. I thought she was fantastic, but obviously going into that match as an underdog. But she hit 30 winners against Eugenia Bouchard. She hit about 30 winners against Simona Halep. She was in the positive against Trevisan, again against Podoroska. She's played every type of match as well that you could ask for. The one thing that she's going to be up against uh, Sonia Cannon is she's the most competitive player I think at Roland Garros, the win against Petra Kvitova, I, I was thinking Petra, boy, the way she has played at Roland Garros, she was impressive. She was impressive against Sigmund. She was impressive against Zhang. I was a little surprised that Petra was going to come out swinging no matter what. And if Cannon can defuse for the big hitting from Kvitova, she can force you into errors. And that's exactly what she did. Kvitova overplayed at times. Cannon, she's a smart player. She's so astute. She's certainly playing some poker out there. So, you know, she's going to be solid. She's going to be up on the baseline trying to take time away from from Swiatek. But uh, it's the second serve, I feel, that uh, Swiatek is going to really take advantage of Sonia Cannon. That's where there's a little bit of a, a weakness, I feel. So she'll be looking to, to have to really respond to some big returns from Swiatek. And how about the fact, Luis, that Kennan came into this tournament 
with as bad of a result as you can have in tennis, not winning a single game against Victoria Azarenka at Rome. Going from that, well, I, I know that I, it's it's incredible. I know we doubted, we sometimes doubt players' ability to bounce back, but you talk about not having a lot of momentum. There was no momentum on Clay going into this tournament, and here she is in the final. Well, she's a little bit of, a, she has an ability to turn herself into a, a robot almost, because how you can turn around from that, there's a lot of players that never recover. From that, uh, Natasha Zareva, I remember losing yeah. to mm. Steffi Graf, final of Wimbledon, love and love. Like, that took a long time for Natasha to really recover, and I don't think she ever did. And, of course, that wasn't a Grand Slam final. That's uh, exacerbated by a 10-factor. But Sonia Cannon, I mean, she's just a, a great competitor, and she knows if she brings that attitude to every match, you know, she's going to come out on the positive. But the first-round match against Samson Over, where she had to go three sets, to win that, she had to turn around again against Anna Bogdan and win in another three sets. Then she got on a run. She played against Barra and won that match 6-2, 6-love. She had to play another three-set match. So she's had a little bit of everything. And then again, the tough one against the big-hitting Collins, she's had to really fight out here. She's spent more energy. She's had to uh, compete harder. She's lost more sets than Schwertek. The only thing is that Schwertek has been on court a lot more in terms of time because of playing doubles. And I just wonder that loss today in three sets with Melitka. Yeah. I saw some moments where she was very frustrated and she threw her racket a couple of times. Let's hope that that you know, doesn't just take a little energy out of the tank um, yeah. for the Polish player. As far as Kennan's ability to you know stay focused and, and be a machine out there, the fact in that Kvitova match, she served for the match, lost it, was still able to break back and win for and win the match. Uh, a lot of players don't have that mental strength, certainly at her age and her her ability to, like I say out there when I watch her, Luis, she kind of stalks around the court. Where if I if I was watching another player, I'd say most of the other players, it looked like they're on the verge of a meltdown. Their game is about to go sideways. But when I watch Kennan, she plays better when she gets going like that. She's got herself into that yeah, mindset where she, she kind of feeds off yeah. of that, you know, her, her being so volatile and, you know, demonstrative out there. I, I think so. I think there's a minor little bit of a, a bit of negativity or, or she just seems to feed off um, just the pressure. And, you know, I think from a young child, she's always believed in herself. You can read uh, lots of articles about Sonia Cannon and Rick Macy, some of the conversations that had. There's a youngster, she always, Felt she could return Rafa's serve. She can, she can, you know, really feel that she's, um, you know, up for any challenge. And I think she'll think that she can walk out on the court and she will win tomorrow in terms of her mind, her, her self-dialogue. You can hear she's talking to herself all the time. It's like a, a chatter of I can do this. It's, um, it's something that I think a lot of players could learn a lot from watching Sonia, the way she goes about her her matches and her attitude on court is really second to none. Well, we're gearing up for that final with Swiatek going for her first major. And Kennan, what's at stake is a second major this year. Two majors, Luis. That's your Hall of Fame bound at that point. So this is a this is a big tournament for a lot of reasons. And I'm I'm hoping that we don't see Swiatek kind of get a little timid in the big stage because this is a major final. This is a chance to hoist that trophy, a Grand Slam trophy for the first time. You're playing a mentally tough player in Ken, and I agree with what you say on that second serve. There's going to be some openings there. How do you see this one going? No, I, I'm so excited to see. And uh, look, I, I think Eager 
Um, as much as this is absolutely new territory for her, I feel when you listen to her post-match interviews and what she's saying is that she's ready for this. Uh, she believes with all the mental work that she's done, she's a much better player and she compete in these situations. She goes deep into her thought process and she's also got some weapons to get herself out of trouble. So I think if she, you know, really comes out and she is aggressive, she can intimidate Sonia a little bit early on. I'm seeing that, uh, well, my pick, and who knows what will happen where the nerves do pop up a little bit for uh, Iga Swiatek. But, of course, Sonia's going to have some as well because it's a big moment for her. But I think Swiatek's going to come out and she's going to use her serve. She's going to be aggressive with that forehand. It just, it just depends whether Sonia can step up in the court and take time away and really go for her shots uh, tomorrow. That's going to be, you know, the situation. But... For me, a much better clay court player is Iga Swiatek. I'm excited. This is a great final, and I think it's going to turn on a lot of uh, casual fans to the quality of this match. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. It should be great. Kenan and Swiatek in the women's final. Louise Plumbing on the TC Live podcast. Let's switch to the men's side. We're recording this just after the, the men's semis have finished. We're going to go out of order because we got to start with that Tsitsipas Djokovic match. We were both on the same wavelength. We thought Djokovic was, was gearing up for a three-set straight sets victory, serving for the match, and then Tsitsipas decided to lengthen the day a little bit, going all the way to five, where Djokovic runs away in the fifth set, 6-1. Interesting performance uh, from Djokovic, but Tsitsipas leaving it all out there. I, I thought, Luis, at the end of that match, that his body just started to break down. He didn't really have much left in the tank. Coming back... To even force a fifth set against Djokovic is a remarkable achievement, but it appeared that he just didn't have anything left once it got to that point. Yeah, I think the conversation with his team uh, after the match will be, why didn't you start the match with this aggressive play that we saw at 5-4 in the third when he really just brought that energy, that attitude that normally we see from Stefanos. So he just looked a, a little intimidated, I think, in the first two sets. And of course, Novak is, is just in incredible form. But what I saw uh, with Sitsipas with his match against Grigor Dimitrov, I thought that was uh, fascinating. His energy, his self-talk was through the roof. And again, you know, that match against Rublev, he was just phenomenal. Mm. I, I really felt his athleticism, the way he competed, you know, that easily could have been a five-set match. That easily could have been a, a Rublev win. I, I, after beating him in Hamburg in the finals. But, um, yeah, I feel if he had to turn that switch on earlier against Novak, it would have been a different match. You can't wait till the last minute to bring your best against Novak Djokovic. And unfortunately, as you said, with I think the 30-something drop shots that Djokovic did, and he was winning 90% of those, it just hurt the legs. And he couldn't sustain that effort. He's six foot tall. He's a massive guy. He's a Greek god to get that, that you know, that big frame around the court over and over was just slowly starting to tear his body apart. And Novak was just uh, enjoying picking up the pieces in the fifth set. I think he's only ever won lost, uh, sorry, he's only ever lost one match in his whole career from being two sets mm-hmm. to love up. So he was kind of in cruise control and he was just, you know, I felt he was just a little bit kind of comfortable still going into that five set. He was trying to get that early break. And from then when he did, he was, uh, he was cruising. 
Yeah, it's fascinating because the first set of the match specifically, there was a lot of chances for Sitsipas to break. You know, he had love 40 in the first game, couldn't break through. Djokovic wins, gets up two sets. Then it was kind of Djokovic in that fourth set who had a bunch of chances and Sitsipas just held firm. But I agree, you had that sense that the ending was kind of, uh, you know, going to be predictable that Djokovic would break through on cruise control. And he did to uh, to make the French Open final again. So prop, props to Sitsipas for battling through. Maybe could change up some tactics with his team, as you said. The other semifinal was a straight sets Rafael Nadal victory over Diego Schwartzman, which had its moments, but again, was Nadal playing a better version of a lot of what Schwartzman did, finishing the match with a shutout in the tie break. Wasn't super surprised by anything I saw here. Schwartzman's a fighter. He brought everything he had, but... It wasn't really good enough against Nadal, and, and there's no shame in that because most of the people who play tennis for a living aren't as good as Nadal on that clay court surface. Yeah, I think Rafa was probably appreciating he had a little warm-up against uh, Schwarzman down in Rome, and does it matter that he lost that match? Not at all. I think that was an opportunity for him just to play some good clay court tennis, uh, get back out on the court. But um, Rafa, you know, he's just such a competitor and he absolutely loves the clay. So he backed himself. Schwartzman, he's exciting to watch. He just couldn't maintain that level. For him to really be able to compete uh, at the highest level against Nadal, he was going to have to really step in and, and just try to burn Nadal with his backhand down the line. And that's difficult to do. Rafa, he's just getting better and better. And the fact that he got through in three sets is going to be a yeah. massive bonus because, you know, with Novak having to win in five sets and finishing late on Friday night, he has much less time to recover. So that's going to play into the match on Sunday. But Rafa Nadal, well, we know how good he is on clay. And um, he, he again, just showed us just what a tough competitor he is. He needs to be a little bit careful, though, on his rally ball. I, I feel sometimes he gets a little bit... Um, a little bit quiet in terms of, you know, getting depth. He started hitting through the centre of the court, and if he does that too much against Novak, that's, that's going to be something that Novak will be able to control. Notice as well that Rafa was switching up some tactics a little bit today with Schwartzman. He kind of took the pace off a little bit at times. One of the things, I mean, you talk about Novak, Rafa, Roger as well. I mean, the greats are just so underappreciated in the, the weaker quotation marks, air quotes, parts of their game. And his ability to change up his serve, fine-tune that, get to the net is an underappreciated part of Rafa. Uh, Luis, I'm just going to throw some numbers at you right now as we gear for the 56th meeting. Sounds crazy out loud <laughs> between Rafa and Novak, with Novak leading 29-26. to 26. But Djokovic this year, 37-1 and one on the season. His only loss was that default at the U.S. Open. He's looking for his sixth title. Rafa's looking for his 13th Roland Garros title, 20th major all-time. And he is perfect 13-0 in the semis. He heads into the finals where he's 12-0 in the Roland Garros final. Uh, I could throw out a bunch more numbers, but the point is these are the two dominant players in, in the sport with Roger, the sport's history. And we're, and we're all excited to see this matchup again. I mean, this is the, the only matchup that when the draw came out made sense if you're talking about the all-time greats of the sport and, and what's at stake legacy-wise. It also just happens to be the best quality match. I just love when these two when these two guys play. Well, if it's anything uh, like the Australian Open, I think it was 2012. It was the longest uh, Grand Slam final at the Australian Open, five hours and 53 minutes. And no tie breaks either. <laughs> no, exactly. That's right. So 
you know, an amazing uh, duel that these two guys have had. As you said, this is a 56th time that they played. It's hard to get your head around that, isn't it? Just to think uh, how much information is shared between, you know, these two players, how, how many miles they've run, how many balls they've hit. But, uh, yeah, going into this match, Rafa, he's going to like the fact that he's going in a little fresher. He's going to like the fact that he leads 6-1 to one at Roland Garros. He has a, a, a better percentage of wins on clay. You know, he's also going to be fighting to try to match uh, Roger in that number 20 of Grand Slam. So there's a lot riding and there's a lot of motivation. You know, I'm I'm certainly just so excited that this was the matchup. And, of course, uh, <laughs> Roland Garros, could you imagine, you know, at the oh. beginning of the tournament, they would have been hoping for this one. I think every tennis lover around the world has been hoping for this one. It'll go down in history. It'll be... You know, who knows how many more times at Grand Slam finals with the likes of Tim and Tsitsipas and these younger guys coming through. How many more times are we going to get to see this matchup in a final? The it may be the last. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I think their first matchup was ever was at Roland Garros 14 years ago in a quarterfinal that Novak actually had to retire uh, after two sets down. Uh, you mentioned that, that Rafa's track record, not just uh, at the French Open, but on clay against Novak, 17-7, and seven, the record there. He definitely has the edge, but I throw that out there. Rafael Nadal, who's 99-2 and two at the French Open, uh, which is an absurd number to say the least, but one of those two losses is to Novak Djokovic. So I know it's wishful thinking to some, but Novak knows that he can do it at this event. Now, it wasn't the final. It was the quarterfinals, but... Novak's one of the few guys on tour that actually believes he can beat Rafa in any setting. Yeah, true. That was back in 2015. So it was, it was five years ago. Rafa will just erase that because he's, uh, he's won it a few more times since then. But um, look, I, I really believe it depends um, on the way that uh, Novak can physically come out here on Sunday. I think it's, it's very even. It's pound for pound. When you look at these two guys, the amount of times they've played, they know their games inside out. Yeah. Um, Rafa, you know, Rafa is just going to try to keep as many balls in play. You know, he's just, he wears down his opponents and, as we saw, like throughout Roland Garros, it's, it's been one of the stats that's just come up. The amount of times the guys have drop shotted, you know, Djokovic is just working that number in. He's been incredible with that. And also, Nadal, through his matches, um, he's used it a lot as well. And, and uh, I, I, what I like about Rafa is uh, also he's changed up his game a little bit. Also, we saw today against uh, Schwarzman, he served and volleyed on a break point down. His hands, his touch, he, he's really worked on so much over the years in terms of changing his game. We always knew he's, he's just so solid from the back, but he does have some variation, you know, which he just can go to these different these different kind of levels. Look, it, it's so hard to pick who is going to, to win this match. I'm certainly going to lean towards uh, Nadal. Yeah. I think Nadal is, is just, just that little bit fitter. He looks a little Stronger. I think Novak, of course, with his remarkable win-loss ratio, you, you just erase the loss of the US Open because that really didn't happen um, in, in Novak's mind anyway. So he's going to come in with this unbelievable confidence, but I think Nadal just has that depth of uh, wisdom on the clay, and I, I really feel that Nadal is going to have this one and he's going to take the 20 position next to um, Roger. 
Just to think about how mentally tough these guys are is another point to bring up. Uh, and winning the 20th to get to Roger, it's almost as, if not more important, to just hold off Djokovic for a little while longer because he's at 17 and, and been collecting slams at a, uh, at a crazy pace. One thing, though, Luis, that I've learned to do is uh, I'm, I'm leaning Rafa as well, but it's hard to compare score lines when you're talking Novak Djokovic going into a matchup with Roger and Rafa because you can look at his results. He raises his level when he plays those guys. Like, no matter what happened, how he got there, five sets, if he's back to physical fitness, I think he's going to bring his absolute best against the other best. But at the end of the day, I just can't go against Rafa on clay. It's the smartest bet in sports right now, Rafa, that Roland Garros. So uh, that's where I lean as well. But uh, a Djokovic win would certainly not be surprising. No, you can't rule out Novak Djokovic. He, he doesn't know how to lose at the moment. He can walk on the court and he can close his eyes and swing and he he can center the, the ball. But, um, yeah, I it's a tough one. You kind of lean towards, like, Rafa needs to do it in four sets. If Novak did not play this five-set match, I would have felt that Nadal, you know, he would outlast Novak, but now the fact that Novak has, has had that five-set match, I think Nadal could uh, win in five if he had to do that, but I'm thinking he's going to want to try to get the business done in four sets. I don't think he'll want to come out and, and grind with Novak. Novak can really lift his game. We saw that he disappeared for sets four, the three and four against Sitsipas today, and then all of a sudden he just, he just lights it up again. Um, and he has that ability, whereas, no, whereas Nadal, he uses that energy ball after ball after after shot after shot. He just has such a high intensity and you just wonder whether Novak can just, you know, stay there, hang with him right. and then lift if it goes the distance. But um, I think Nadal is going to win it in four and I think he'll want to come out and be very aggressive and stamp his mark early on in the match. Luis Plumbing on the TC Live podcast. This has uh, been a very fun discussion on the Roland Garros final, which we both can't wait to uh, to see. But before I let you go, I have to ask you about uh, your foundation, Rally Forever, because I did some research on it. Very, very cool stuff. I, I want to get your you know history of how this came to be. How, if I have this right, it started with a chance meeting four years ago with a gentleman in a homeless center, and it just sprung to a call to action to lift everybody up and improve mental health? Yeah, it was, uh, I did a little bit of volunteer work in a, in a soup kitchen for the homeless in, in Sydney just when I was back there. And a gentleman came up to me and he said, hey, I, you know, I've seen you commentate um, and uh, would you play tennis with me? And I was like, uh, he said, come and sit down with me after lunch and, and have a chat. And I walked out to this gentleman, his name is Brian, and he opens up his bag, and this was just a chance meeting. He, he didn't know I was going to be there. I didn't know he was going to be there. And he opens up this bag, and he's got two R2000s, the old Jimmy Connors um, metal racket with three tennis balls. They were in beautiful condition. And uh, this gentleman is, is a little older, and I, he said he'd, he'd had a point on you know the ATP tour many years ago, and then he'd been in and out of mental homes and um, – he, you know, he has some mental health issues. And he said, will you play tennis with me next week? And I kind of I said, oh. I said, sure, give, you know, give me your phone and uh, I'll call you. And he, and he said, listen, he says, I live in the bush down by the tennis courts and, and, of course, I don't have a phone. He's like, you know, let's, let's make it Monday morning, 6 a.m. And I went, wow, that's, that's early. I said, let's make it 7 a.m. So, you know, I wake up this Monday morning and it's pouring rain. 
and uh, and it's a storm. And I thought, do I go and see this guy? Is he going to be there or not? And uh, so I go there, and here's Brian standing on the court, pouring rain with his racket, and his balls waiting. And um, we hit some hours later, and after the hit, he said, uh, he said to me, "What time tomorrow?" And mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm he's he's kind of got me in, and uh, we've been together for four years, and and then that kind of led. But just seeing his his change in his just his demeanour, and you know it really motivated me to then try to reach out and help more people. So it's, um, it's been an amazing thing. And we've uh, yeah, just turned it into a foundation just recently, the last six months, and, and just trying to help people through tennis and, and fitness uh, with mental health. And, of course, through COVID-19, through isolation, there's been a lot more depression and anxiety. And if we can help people who are slightly disadvantaged or anyone with mental health uh, issues to get back on the court and have that community sense of, feeling and also the endorphins from playing a sport, playing tennis, which is a, a wonderful sport, then uh, we've had a win. Your slogan is rallying together through community connection and physical activity for better mental health well-being. And uh, looking at your yep. looking at your Instagram page, which we'll get to in a second, I, I like that there's positive reinforcement. There's some information, some statistics people learn. I also like slogans, like one specifically st- that stuck out to me, Luis, was celebrate every tiny victory. And I think that's just a great way to look at life and that there's going to be ups and downs to really appreciate each up that you have. I think everybody knows someone, they, it might be themselves affected by, you know, having uh, mental health issues. It's good to know that there's other people out there, people that have some prominence and a position uh, of notability like yourself that are able to uh, promote this and uh, I think especially with the COVID-19 situation, I, I hate the fact that, you know, sometimes that's part of the uh, under the radar thing is that there's certainly a health pandemic, but mental health doesn't go away. So it's great that you're doing this and uh, there's an opportunity for people to better themselves despite the circumstances. Yeah, thank you, Mitchell. It's been amazing, actually. Uh, through my years of coaching with Tense Australia, I've had so many youngsters that have come in through my path have reached out and just said, Louise, you know, you know, through Rally Forever if, if I could get on the court and help coach so around Australia and let's hope one day perhaps it goes international that um, you know players that have had a pretty privileged life just feel like they want to give back and if, if you can get on the court and it's amazing how you can help somebody's self-esteem by just telling them that they hit a good shot and just spending a little bit of time with them it's uh, it's an amazing feeling so it's been one that I didn't realize that I would ever really get involved. I probably was that person that didn't kind of see the homeless person. Um, but when they walk into your life and, and you actually get attached to these people, it, uh, it gives you a real sense of significance of, of what is real. So it's been uh, a real journey for me. So where can we find uh, your insight, um, your website, your social media channels, and what can we look forward to? What you know, events and activities uh, do we have here at Rally Forever? Yeah, at the moment we're trying to do a lot of virtual uh, fitness classes, yoga classes for everybody who's, you know, in isolation, particularly in Melbourne and in certain countries, certain cities, people can't leave their homes. So we've been trying to do virtual classes, which has been great. And you can watch those on Rally Forever. So Rally with a number four ever, AUS on our Instagram. We're doing those virtual classes. And at the moment in Sydney, we're, we're running some uh, tennis coaching in disadvantaged areas and we're looking to grow that so that we're trying to get to, to more people and and that's about it you know and once 
uh, the isolation and, and the um, and the fact that we can now get out and be around people a little bit more in Australia, then we'll do some fitness classes in parks and that sort of thing and just try to grow it so more, more people have opportunities to do uh, free classes. Because also with the pandemic, a lot of people have lost their jobs, so their access to gyms, um, a lot of people have, have kind of given up their gym kind of membership. So it's been great to also allow people to do it for free and take away that, uh, that financial kind of difficulty there as well. Let's rally for the number four ever AUS on Instagram. I want to make sure we have people follow yep. you there. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate uh, what you're doing. Uh, it's, uh, you know, something that affects a lot of people. Uh, and I think more than most uh, understand so that there's always uh, an opportunity to better yourself and, and get better in every day, you know, treat your mental health right and improve. So, no, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Glad, uh, glad you're able to discuss that here. Thank you. No, it's great that you could uh, let us have a chat about that. That's awesome for, for noting. Thank you. That's Louise Fleming on the TC Live podcast. Louise, thanks for coming on, talking about your foundation, as well as all this great tennis we've had. we got the finals coming up. I know you're going to be you know, locked in completely. Uh, I can't wait for them, too. Thanks for coming on the show and breaking down the uh, French Open on the TC Live podcast. Thanks. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Reminder, you can catch every episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast. We're on all your platforms as well. There'll be another episode next week. We'll recap the French Open champions and look forward to what's left of the tennis season in 2020. For Louise Fleming, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. We'll see you next week.